Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our Course in Miracles daily reading conference call. We read from the text and manual for teachers of Course in Miracles original edition, which is published by our dear friends at the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to jcim.net, or if you mouse over the link top for online edition, you'll see the link to read A Course in Miracles OE. On that same drop-down, there's an option to subscribe to have both the daily text reading and the lesson for the day sent to your email from the Course in Miracles Society. My name is Lori Cameron. This call is Monday through Friday from about 9.15 to about 10.50 a.m. Eastern. And today we're continuing our reading of the Manual for Teachers with Section 5. One unmuted line. Section 5. How is healing accomplished? And there we'll be reading the three sections, the perceived purpose of sickness, the shift in perception, and the function of the teacher of God. We're also mindful of our lesson today, lesson 343. I am not asked to make sacrifice to find the mercy and the peace of God. And by way of opening this morning, this poem from Martha Postlewhite seems like just the perfect opening. It's called Clearing. Clearing. Do not try to save the whole world or do anything grandiose. Instead, create a clearing in the dense forest of your life and wait there patiently until the song that is your life falls into your own cupped hands and you recognize and greet it. Only then will you know how to give yourself to this world so worthy of rescue. Wait there patiently until the song that is your life falls into your own cupped hands and you recognize and greet it. I am not asked to make a sacrifice to find the mercy and the peace of God. Amen. Thank you, Lori. Beautiful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Lori. That was lovely. It's a privilege. I'm grateful for it. So thank you, everyone. And here's our reading list this morning. We have Fran, Reverend Rachel, Harrison, Donna, Jessica, Lana, and Lemoyne. We're joined in listening this morning by Kristen and Judy. Is there anyone else who's joined us that would like to say good morning or be on the reading list? Good morning, this is Sandra. <clears throat> and I can... Go ahead. Uh, I didn't catch what you said, Sandra. I'm sorry. Yes, I can read. I'm sorry. I'm a little... Oh, thank you. Thank Good morning. It's Robin Marie. Hi, Robin Marie. Hi. I can read too. Oh, great. Thank you. And let's see. Anyone else? Okay. So, in the Manual for Teachers, Section 5 How is Healing Accomplished? Healing involves an understanding of what the illusion of sickness is for. 
Healing is impossible without this. A friend. How is healing accomplished? Healing involves an understanding of what the illusion of sickness is for. Healing is impossible without this. The perceived purpose of sickness, too. Healing is accomplished the instant the sufferer no longer sees any value in pain. Who would choose suffering unless he thought it brought him something and something of value to him? He must think it is a small price to pay for something of greater worth. For sickness is an election, a decision. It is the choice of weakness and the mistaken conviction that it is strength. When this occurs, real strength is seen as threat and health as danger. Sickness is a method, conceived in madness, for placing God's Son on his Father's throne. God is seen as outside, fierce and powerful, eager to keep all power for himself. Only by his death can he be conquered by his son. Thank you, Fran. And Reverend Rija. Mm-hmm. Thank you. The perceived purpose of sickness and to Healing is accomplished the instant the sufferer no longer sees any value in pain. Who would choose suffering unless he thought it brought him something and something of value to him? He must think it is a small price to pay for something of greater worth. For sickness is an election, a decision. It is the choice of weakness in the mistaken conviction that it is strength. When this occurs, real strength is seen as threat and health as danger. Sickness is a method conceived in madness for placing God's Son on his Father's throne. God is seen as outside, fierce and powerful, eager to keep all power for himself. Only by his death can he be conquered by his Son. Three, and what in this insane conviction does healing stand for? It symbolizes the defeat of God's Son and the triumph of his Father over him. It represents the ultimate defiance in the direct form which the Son of God is forced to recognize. It stands for all that he would hide from himself to protect his life. He is responsible for his thoughts. And if he is responsible for his thoughts, He will be killed to prove to him how weak and pitiful he is. But if he chooses death himself, his weakness is his strength. Now has he given himself what God would give to him, and thus entirely usurped the throne of his creator. Thank you, Reverend Raja. And Harrison, if you'd like to do three and then roll right into shift in perception, please. Okay. And what in this insane conviction does healing stand for? It symbolizes the defeat of God's Son and the triumph of his Father over him. It represents the ultimate defiance in a direct form 
which the Son of God is forced to recognize. It stands for all that he would hide from himself to protect his life. If he is healed, he is responsible for his thoughts. And if he is responsible for his thoughts, he will be killed to prove to him how weak and pitiful he is. But if he chooses that himself, his weakness is his strength. Now has he given himself what God would give to him, and thus entirely usurped the throne of his creator. The shift in perception. Four. Healing must occur in exact proportion in which the valuelessness of sickness is recognized. One need but say, there is no gain to me at all in this, and he is healed. But to say this, one must first recognize certain facts. First, it is obvious that decisions are of the mind, not of the body. If sickness is but a faulty problem-solving approach, it is a decision. And if it is a decision. It is the mind and not the body that makes it. The resistance to recognizing this is enormous because the existence of the world we perceive, I said, the resistance to recognizing this is enormous because the existence of the world as we perceive it depends on the body being the decision maker. Terms like quote-unquote instincts, quote-unquote reflexes, and the like represent attempts to endow the body with non-mental motivators. Actually, such terms merely state or describe the problem. They do not answer it. Thank you, Harrison. And Donna. The shift in perception, four, healing must occur in exact proportion in which the valuelessness of sickness is recognized. One need but say, there is no gain to me at all in this, and he is healed. But to say this, one must first recognize certain facts. First, it is... First, it is obvious 
that decisions are of the mind, not the body. If sickness is but a faulty problem-solution approach, it is a decision. And if it is a decision, it is the mind and not the body that makes it. The resistance to recognizing this is enormous because the existence of the world as we perceive it depends on the body being the decision maker. The terms like instincts, reflexes, and the like represent attempts to endow the body with non-mental motivators. Actually, such terms merely state or describe the problem. They do not answer it. Five. The acceptance of sickness as a decision of the mind for the purpose for which, for a purpose for which it would use the body is the basis for healing. And this is so for healing in all forms. A patient decides that this is so and he recovers. If he decides against recovery, he will not be healed. Who is the physician? Only the mind of the patient himself. The outcome is what he decides that it is. Special agents seem to be ministering to him, yet they but give form to his own choice. He chooses them to to bring tangible form to his desires. And it is this they do and nothing else. They are not actually needed at all. The patient could merely rise up without their aid and say, I have no use for this. There is no form of sickness that would not be cured at once. Thank you, Donna. And Jessica. Thanks, Lori. Paragraph 5. The acceptance of sickness as a decision of the mind for a purpose for which it would use the body is the basis of healing. And this is so for healing in all forms. The patient decides that this is so and he recovers. If he decides against recovery, he will not be healed. Who is the physician? Only the mind of the patient himself. The outcome is what he decides that it is. Special agents seem to be ministering to him, yet they but give form to his own choice. He chooses them to bring tangible form to his desires, and it is this they do and nothing else. They are not actually needed at all. The patient could merely rise up without their aid and say, I have no use of this. There is no form of sickness that would not be cured at once. Six. What is the single requisite for this shift in perception? It is simply this. The recognition that sickness is of the mind and has nothing to do with the body. What does this recognition, quote, cost? 
it costs the whole world we see, for the world will never again appear to rule the mind. For this, for with this recognition, is responsibility placed where it belongs, not with the world, but on him who looks on the world and sees it as it is not. He looks on what he chooses to see, no more and no less. The world does nothing to him. He only thought it did. Nor does he do anything to the world because he was mistaken about what it was. Herein is the release from guilt and sickness both, for they are one. Yet to accept this release, the insignificance of the body must be an acceptable idea. Thank you, Jessica. And Lana. Hey, Six. What is the single requisite for this shift in perception? It is simply this, the recognition that sickness is of the mind and has nothing to do with the body. What does this recognition cost? It costs the whole world we see where the world will never again appear to rule the mind. For with this recognition is responsibility placed where it belongs, not with the world, but on him who looks on the world and sees it as it is not. He looks on what he chooses to see, no more and no less. The world does nothing to him. He only thought it did. Nor does he do anything to the world because he was mistaken about what it was. Herein is the release from guilt and sickness both. For they are one. Yet to accept this release, the insignificance of the body must become, must be an acceptable idea. Seven. With this idea is pain forever gone, but with this idea goes also all confusion about creation. Does not this follow of necessity? Place cause and effect in their true sequence in one respect, and the learning will generalize and transform the world. The transfer value of one true idea has no end nor limit. The final outcome of this lesson is the remembrance of God. What do guilt and sickness, pain, disaster, and all suffering mean now? Having no purpose, they are gone. And with them also go all the effects they seem to cause. Cause and effect, but replicate creation seen in their proper perspective without distortion and without fear they reestablish heaven nice thank you Lana and Lemoyne uh, seven and then roll right into uh, the next section please 
With this idea is pain forever gone. But with this idea goes also all confusion about creation. Does not this follow of necessity? Place cause and effect in their true sequence in one respect, and the learning will generalize and transform the world. The transfer value of one true idea has no end nor limit. The final outcome of this lesson is the remembrance of God. What do guilt and sickness, pain, disaster, and all suffering mean now? Having no purpose, they are gone. And with them also go all the effects they seem to cause. Cause and effect but replicate creation. Seen in their proper perspective, without distortion and without fear, they reestablish heaven. The function of the teacher of God. If the patient must change his mind in order to be healed, what does the teacher of God do? Can he change the patient's mind for him? Certainly not. For those already willing to change their mind, he has no function except to rejoice with them, for they have become teachers of God with him. He has, however, a more specific function for those who do not understand what healing is. These patients do not realize they have chosen sickness. On the contrary, they believe that sickness has chosen them. Nor are they open-minded on this point. The body tells them what to do, and they obey. They have no, ins- no idea how insane this concept is. If they even suspected it, they would be healed. Yet they suspect nothing. To them, the separation is quite real. Thank you, Lemoyne and Alessandra. Um, let's see. The function of the teacher of God. If the patient must change his mind in order to be healed, what does the teacher of God do? Can he change the patient's mind for him? Certainly not. For those already willing to change their mind, he has no function except to rejoice with them, for they have become teachers of God with him. He has, however, a more specific function for those who do not understand what healing is. These patients do not realize they have chosen sickness. On the contrary, they believe that sickness has chosen them. Nor are they open-minded on this point. The body tells them what to do, and they obey. They have no idea how insane the concept is. If they even suspected it, they would be healed. Yet they suspect nothing. To them, the separation is quite real. 9. To them, God's teachers come to represent another choice which they had forgotten. 
The simple presence of the teacher of God is a reminder. His thoughts ask for the right ask for the right to question what the patient has accepted is true. As God's messengers, he teach his teachers are the symbol of salvation. They ask the patient for forgiveness for God's Son in his own name. They stand for the alternative. <clears throat> They stand for the alternative. With God's word in their minds, they come in benediction, not to heal the sick, but to remind them of the remedy God has already given them. It is, their, it is not their hands that heal. It is not their voice that speaks the word of God. They merely give what has been given them. Very gently, they called to their brothers to turn away from death. Behold, you son of God, what life can offer you? Would you choose sickness in place of this? I just would like to read that sentence again. Behold, you son of God, what life offers you? Would you choose sickness in place of this? Thank you, Sandra. And Robin Marie. Nine. To them, God's teachers come to represent another choice which they had forgotten. The simple presence of a teacher of God is a reminder. His thoughts ask for the right to question what the patient has accepted is true. As God's messengers, his teachers are the symbols of salvation. They ask the patient for forgiveness for God's son in his own name. They stand for the alternative. With God's word in their minds, they come in benediction, not to heal the sick, but to remind them of the remedy God has already given them. It is not their hands that heal. It is not their voice that speaks the word of God. They merely give what has been given them. Very gently, they call to their brothers to turn away from death. Behold, you son of God, what life can offer you? Would you choose sickness in place of this? 10. Not once did the advanced teachers of God consider the forms of sickness in which their brother believes. To do this is to forget that all of them have the same purpose and therefore are not really different. They seek for God's voice in this brother who would so deceive himself as to believe God's son can suffer. And they remind him that he has, he has not made himself and must remain as God created him. They recognize illusions can have no effect. The truth in their minds reaches out to the truth in the minds of their brothers so that illusions are not reinforced. They are thus brought to truth, and truth is not brought to them. So are they dispelled, not by the will of another, but by the union of the one will with itself. And this is the function of God's teachers, to see no will as separate from their own nor theirs as separate from God's. Thank you, Robin Marie. 
And would there be a new reader to complete today with paragraph 10? Uh, this is Micah. I can do it. Thanks, Micah. Okay, 10. Oh, sure. Not, not once do the advanced teachers of God consider the forms of sickness in which their brother believes. To do this is to forget that all of them have the same purpose and therefore are not really different. They seek for God's voice in this brother who would so deceive himself as to believe God's son can suffer. And they remind him that he has not made himself and must remain as God created him. They recognize illusions can have no effect. The truth in their minds reaches out to the truth in the minds of their brothers so that illusions are not reinforced. They are thus brought to truth, and truth is not brought to them. So are they dispelled, not by the will of another, but by the union of the one will with itself. And this is the function of God's teachers, to see no will as separate from their own, nor theirs as separate from God's. And amen. Uh, so to summarize then this beautiful section five, how is healing accomplished? Uh, touch a few things in that first paragraph. Healing involves an understanding of what the illusion of sickness is for. Healing isn't possible without this. The perceived purpose of sickness. Healing is accomplished the instant the sufferer no longer sees any value in pain. For sickness is an election, a decision. It is the choice of weakness in the mistaken conviction that it is strength. When this occurs, real strength is seen as threat and health is danger. Down to the shift in perception. In paragraph 4, healing must occur in exact proportion in which the valuelessness of sickness is recognized. In paragraph 5, the acceptance of sickness as a decision of the mind for a purpose for which it would use the body is the basis of healing. And in paragraph 6, what is the single requisite for the shift in perception? It is simply this, the recognition that sickness is of the mind and has nothing to do with the body. What does this recognition cost? It costs the whole world we see, for the world will never again appear to rule the mind, for with this recognition is responsibility placed where it belongs, not with the world, but on him who looks on the world and sees it as it is not. Herein is the release from guilt and sickness both, for they are one. Paragraph 7, with this idea goes also all confusion about creation. Does not this follow of necessity 
place cause and effect in their true sequence in one respect, and the learning will generalize and transform the world. The final outcome of this lesson is the remembrance of God. What do guilt, sickness, pain, disaster, and all suffering mean now? Having no purpose, they are gone, and with them also go all the effects they seem to cause. Cause and effect, but replicate creation, seen in their proper perspective, without distortion and without fear. They reestablish heaven. And finally, the function of the teacher of God. Looking at paragraph 9, the simple presence of a teacher of God is a reminder. His thoughts ask for the right question which the patient has accepted as true. With God's word in their minds, they come in benediction, not to heal the sick, but to remind them of the remedy God has already given them. Very gently, they call to their brothers to turn away from death. Behold, you son of God, what life can offer you. Would you choose sickness in place of this? And in that last paragraph, not once do the advanced teachers of God consider the form of sickness in which their brother believes. They remind him that he has not made himself and must remain as God created him. They recognize illusions can have no effect. The truth in their minds reaches out to the truth in the minds of their brothers so that illusions are not reinforced. So are they dispelled, not by the will of another, but by the union of the one will with itself. And this is the function of God's teachers, to see no will as separate from their own, nor theirs as separate from God's. Amen. We have time before the top of the hour, so the floor is open. This is Donna. <clears throat> I would love, um, Lori, if you would read all of eight for us. And if you don't want to, I would do it. I am complete. Oh, go ahead, Donna. Please. <clears throat> Thank you. The function of the teacher. Eight. If the patient must, must change his mind in order to be healed, what does the teacher of God do? Can he change the patient's mind for him? Certainly not. For those already willing to change their mind have no function except to rejoice with them for they have become teachers of God with him. He has, however, a more specific function for those who do not understand what healing is. The patients do not realize they have chosen sickness. On the contrary, they believe that sickness has chosen them. Nor are they open-minded on this point. The body tells them what to do, and they obey. They have no idea how insane this concept is. If they even suspected it, they would be healed. Yet they suspect Nothing. To them, the separation is real. And I found this whole reading mind-blowing. Thank you. I am complete. Mm, thank you, Donna. Yeah, thanks for reading that. 
Yeah, thanks, Donna. <clears throat> I'm glad to hear it as I read that and I'm getting I'm getting a distinct impression with this is mine with what's going on around me in my life that I'm dealing with patients who wear the white coats and have the degree. <laughs> but you know, seem to have this role of interpreters of what the body is telling them they can do and will do. And, uh, um, yeah, it, it, it is mind-blowing. I don't seem to be open-minded on this point, but, you know, we'll see. We'll talk to another one today. Bye. Thanks, Lemoyne. Thanks, Lemoyne. Thanks, Lemoyne, and you too, Donna. Thank you. Thanks, Lemoyne and Donna. Hi, it's Donna. I wanted to share one thing. Um, uh, this one statement in here. It's in paragraph six at the end. Um really became alive for me, and I'll tell you. It says, yet to accept this release, the insignificance of the body must be an acceptable idea. And, uh, you know, that's a huge, that's a huge thing. It was for me, at least. Um, uh, there was a period in my life, and uh, maybe I'll, I'll, um, I'll talk about it in the after call, but, um, I was very sick. I had a staph infection, and I had just had major surgery. And I woke up one morning, and uh, there was, oh, I don't know what time of the day. It may not have been the morning, but I woke up in the hospital, and the priest was putting oil on my head. So obviously, um, it wasn't a good thing. And um, when he left the room, um, you know, this, this like, the insignificance of the body really did become an acceptable idea because I noticed um, the body wasn't going to save me anymore. You know, the body couldn't save me. Um, it was, um, it had no value for me anymore. And, um, and I'd never had that thought ever before you know the whole thing was about saving the body you know without the body I wouldn't be able to walk around in life so um the body saving the body and the value of the body is so huge so when I believed I was going to vacate it you know it lost all its value and the moment I had that thought and I've shared and written about this before um you know, it was it was a, such a release. They talk about yet to accept this release. There wasn't um, a bit of fear. It was it was like once I gave up my body, it was like something else kicked in, and that's the only way I can describe it. You know, it was like a something else kicked in, and I went in this into this profound peace. And um, quite a mystical experience. Um, 
I don't know whether you'd call it a near-death experience or what, but it was magical, miraculous, and I started to heal after that experience. So uh, this one little sentence, you know, when in, in talking about value, what value do you see in the body or in the sickness, you know? And, and in the after call, maybe I'll share uh, why I needed to have 13 abdominal surgeries before I was able to see what the payoff was, what the value was. And um, this section on healing is so right on the spot, spot on when I think of my experiences with illness and, and um, uh, disease and things. So anyhow, um, more later, I guess. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Lana. You expressed that yeah, so you. so perfectly. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Hey, Lana. <clears throat> Lana, would you mind? I would really get. I, I have a feeling I would get a lot out of you describing your mystical experience that was kind of the the pivotal moment of change. Would you mind doing that? It's t- it's ten o'clock. Are you going to do it now or after the lesson? Um, I'd be happy to. Okay, I'll be happy to, yeah. It was quite a big deal. Okay, thank you. Well, thank you. I'm going to look forward to that. Um, So, let's open our hearts and minds for reflection on uh, what is a miracle. And I am not asked to make sacrifice. And for that, we turn again to Fran this morning. So thank you, Fran. Thank you. Hi, everybody. We are in the second part of the workbook, and the theme that we're on is What is a Miracle? And today's lesson is Lesson 343. I am not asked to make a sacrifice to find the mercy and the peace of God. So I shall read something What is a Miracle? A miracle is a correction. It does not create, nor really change at all. It merely looks on devastation and reminds the mind that what it sees is false. Forgiveness is the home of miracles. The eyes of Christ deliver them to all they look upon in mercy and in love. Perception stands corrected in his sight, and what was meant to curse has come to bless. Each lily of forgiveness offers all the world the silent miracle of love, and each is laid before the word of God upon the universal altar to creator and creation in the light of perfect purity and endless joy. Miracles fall like drops of healing grain from heaven on a dry and dusty world where starved and thirsty creatures come to die. Now they have water. Now the world is green, and everywhere the signs of life spring up to show that what is born can never die, for what has life has immortality. We'll go over to the lesson. Lesson 343. I am not asked to make a sacrifice to find the mercy and the peace of God. The end of suffering cannot be lost. The gift of everything can but be gained. You only give. 
you never take away. And you created me to be like you. So sacrifice becomes impossible for me as well as you. I too must give. And so all things are given unto me forever and forever. As I was created, I remain. Your son can make no sacrifice for he must be complete. Having the function of completing you. I am complete because I am your son. I cannot lose for I can only give and everything is mine eternally. The mercy and the peace of God are free. Salvation has no cost. It is a gift that must be freely given and received and it is this that we would learn today. And we'll take a moment and reflect on this. Lesson 343, I am not asked to make a sacrifice to find the mercy and the peace of God. The mercy and the peace of God are free. Salvation has no cost. It is a gift that must be freely given and received, and it is this that we would learn today. Lesson 343, I am not asked to make a sacrifice to find the mercy and the peace of God. Amen. Thank you, Fanny. That's beautiful. Oh, that was lovely. Thank you, Fran. Oh, thank you, guys. I have to go for a minute, but I'll be right Thanks. back. Thanks, Fran. Thank you, Fran. Okay. That was great. Did anyone want to share about the lesson before I, I share? Oh, yes, I had something that came to me in the quiet time after, just to be real brief. Um, thinking of, this is Kristen, a morning family, that we don't, it's not required to have a sacrifice, but what came to me is I can make an offering, and I can make an offering of my will, and to offer that back to God, to have my will line up with God's will. So in a way, I'm not giving up anything. I'm gaining. The part that I have problems with was receiving. I could give to everybody, and I always felt like I was lacking. And it wasn't until on this call, I think a year or so ago, when a beautiful person reached out when I was having issues of money and not understanding why I couldn't make money, why was I always struggling? And they reached out to me to offer me 
money that they didn't really have, but they were called to send it to me. And I was so grateful in the struggle that I had on the conversation with Lee that I, that, you know, I was having is not feeling worthy of receiving what this person was so graciously willing to offer me. And when I let go of whatever need there was to block my blessings and to make the decision that I am willing to receive this, I am worthy. I am a perfect child of God the way that I was created. Once I was able to let go of whatever tiny precious thought that I thought was more important than the relationship with my life, the relationship with my inner life, the relationship with the Christ within me. When I was willing to let go of my judgment and receive what Jesus is giving us, which is the freedom to choose again, it's like my whole entire existence changed. I made the decision that minute that I didn't care what I was doing, where I was going. Every minute of my life, I'm working for God. I work for God Incorporated. And it doesn't matter. I know my paycheck comes from the gentleman, but all the money that he gives me is from God. And, and that's the way I started looking at everything, and I stopped worrying because worrying is a lack of faith. And I just put all my trust in Jesus and in the universe and Mother Mary, and I just show up every day and I say, what would you like for me to do? Which direction? And then I listen and I follow. And I appreciate you all giving me this opportunity to share that with you, and I love you all. Thank you. I'm complete. Oh, Kristen, that's, that's just, just so beautiful. It's so moving, Thanks. and I'm so grateful to that's, have heard it. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you, Kristen. Um, that is really um, great. Thank you, Kristen. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> That's wonderful. I can really relate. <laughs> well, the healing of scarcity that I've done, too. So that's, that's so wonderful for your willingness um, to look to see it differently. Yeah, that's great. Well, anyway, just I'll try to do this um, briefly. When um, when I was in the hospital um, and that happened, when I, in other words, when I saw um, a real, I recognized how sick I was. And, and after the priest left, I um, I had this, uh, I don't, I don't, there wasn't any fear there. There was um, just a resignation that um, there wasn't anything to do. So I just waited to see what happened next. And, um, and this peace came over me. I was, it was like um, any fear that was there just disappeared. And I think, you know, and I can only... Um, share what my thoughts were. I, I, you know, I thought that well, in in that release of letting go of the body or seeing it as valueless, um, something else kicked in. And 
Um, I don't know. You know, people ask me if it was an out-of-body experience, and my memory is that it had nothing to do with the body. I wasn't in the body or out of the body. I became this awareness of, I was just like one with the awareness of everything. And and I remember that there was no delineation between my consciousness and, say, the lamp on the table or the tree outside the window. It was, um, I felt like it. I was part of all of it. And it was um, quite a high. <laughs> I can imagine, you know, like an LSD trip or something because um, I had the certainty that um, there, I had no problems. I had no fears about anything. And, and um, my condition obviously turned around and I was, I was sent home. And the first few days, you know, this, this feeling of uh, just anything being possible just consumed me. And um, I had the nurses, the nurses came twice a day because I was on the IV therapy. And um, all I'd have to do is have a thought. Like um, I, this, the first day home, I thought, well, I have to... Um, pay my car payment, you know, I'd been in the hospital for a couple weeks, and it seemed like just moments after I had that thought, my neighbor came in, knocked on the door, of course, and came in, and um, she had a check, and she said, we didn't want you to be worried about money uh, while you recover, and it was, the funny thing was it um, it wasn't for the amount the car payment it was like for three thousand dollars they paid my car off <laughs> and then the next thought i had was um you know oh gosh i have to I'll get some some food in here for maggie and meet her how am i going to meet her at the bus stop well you know that was when this gorgeous sister marie knocked on the door with food and and she said she would go and pick up Maggie at the bus stop. And it was, like, so magical, the whole experience, you know. And um, it gradually faded uh, over the next week or so. But, you know, while it was that, you know, I would just have a thought, oh, how it's trash day tomorrow. And my neighbor would show, another neighbor would show up and say, and he says, oh, I'll take your trash down until you're well. <laughs> it was just a magical experience, but uh, when I was having that experience of oneness, it, um, I, you know, I just don't have any words there to put to it other than um, it was a feeling of unity with everything and everyone, and it seemed like it was um, okay to stay in my body or okay to leave. You know, or you know, live or die. It, it seemed like it was um, perfectly okay to do either one. Um, I didn't make. I don't remember making a conscious choice, but I must have, at some level of consciousness. Uh, um, that's pretty much the, you know, what it was. It. Um, I've had other ones. 
too, um, not associated with sickness, but just uh, miraculous episodes of expanded awareness and consciousness. Um, And, you know, as that particular time, the coming down was gradual. But I had one a few years ago where it was sudden and it was very disorienting disorienting and confusing for me. Um, But anyhow, it was a beautiful experience. And from it, you know, I never doubted God anymore. And I never doubted that there was an existence after this one. (laughs) And um, my little taste of it was that it was going to be sublime and beautiful and I guess that's that's about all. But um, the value... Oh, let me just take two more minutes to share because after I had like 13 surgeries and I had um, experienced that staph infection that almost did me in, um, I, it seemed like I wouldn't go more than six months without another surgery. I couldn't keep a job. We lost everything, Mags and me, as far as material things, because she also had a bone disease. <laughs> and she, if I wasn't in the hospital, she was. So it was getting close to that six-month part, and I was getting really nervous. And um, I remember meditating, and Holy Spirit, or Jesus, um, it was like he was giving me a command. And he said, no more surgeries, no more surgeries. And, uh, but like today's reading um, stated, you know, I had to have value in keeping, there must have been some value in keeping myself sick. And and it was, as far as the doctors were concerned, these surgeries were absolutely necessary. They were abdominal surgeries because I've had adhesions and all sorts of complications from it over the year. But this this started, it, all these surgeries started shortly after my husband passed away. And I, and I always relate back to it as um, when I looked at it honestly with spirit, and what was shown to me was that I was using illness or sickness to keep myself safe you know after Tom died I felt lost you know he he was my best friend (laughs) in addition to being my husband and the thought of raising Maggie by myself because she was only about eight years old was just overwhelming and it was my way of avoiding looking at it avoiding as long as I kept myself sick, you know. I didn't have to deal with the world. I didn't have to deal with any of my fears. And um, my remedy was to keep myself sick. And after Jesus said, no more surgeries, I, I never had another one. And this is like 20 years ago. I never had another surgery. And even when I, they wanted me to have back surgery, I never got the guidance to have it. And um, 
So uh, that was, you know, that was miraculous too. Once I saw what I was doing to myself mentally, um, I could let that go. And when I let that go and started to participate in life again, all of a sudden I didn't have any, I didn't need any more surgery. So that was quite miraculous, I thought too. So I'm complete. Thank you for listening to my battle. Appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much, Lana. I really appreciate it. Thank you. That was really That was great. So, thank yeah. you, Lana. Of- mm-hmm. well, thank, thank, thank you so much, Lana. Thank you. Mm-hmm. This is Jessica, and um, I love hearing all about that, Lana. It's it's just such a wonderful reminder um, of the truth of these lessons and the this information. Um, I I wanted to share something that I thought was very relevant to the reading. Um, about four years ago, I received a very disturbing, or it was definitely disturbing, diagnosis. And, um, you know, I started, I had started studying the course through this uh, online uh, course from Carol Howe. And then I started to uh, read and get on to the conference calls. And I was I was meeting with uh, on the phone with Catherine Joy once a week, and um, that was incredibly helpful. And I was talking to her about my feelings, about my health and the diagnosis and what was going to happen and what was possibly not, you know, all, the, all of that stuff. And at one point she said, your body is not your savior. You seem to think that your body is your salvation. <laughs> And it was such a, you know, it's exactly what what we're being taught in this course, but I was early on in this process, and it was such an incredible piece of news that I had never, I had thought for many years that my body was my salvation, that I had to um, stay in my body, and, um, and, you know, the, the idea that, that there could be such an incredible uh, threat to my my welfare, my not my welfare, but the body's welfare, was just horrifying. And when she said that, it was just suddenly it shifted so much. I, I it was the beginning of realizing that that that's not really who I am. And of course, we we know I'm not a body. I am. Uh, still as God created me. And recently, I'll just share this too because it, it could be helpful to other people. I've been uh, trying to figure out how do I reconcile both being at peace with anything that happens vis-a-vis my body and the health issues and you know outcomes and all of that stuff, being at peace with anything that happens, which is what I believe is one of the uh, one of the teachings of the course is to, you know, uh, accept how everything is going and everything is in my best for my highest and best and all of that. How do I reconcile that with the possibility 
of healing and of um, sort of a shifting of of the situation. And I had I had been just sort of struggling with that in my mind, and then one day I just felt it. I felt the truth of both of those things, and the fact that they could be moving in parallel. Um, on parallel tracks, you know, that I could be completely open to whatever happens tomorrow with pain, with anything. Um, Of course, it's easy to say that when, you know, I was struggling with something at the time, which actually does seem to have been affected in the positive direction since that. But so being on one track of complete acceptance and on the other track, of total trust and openness for the possibility of healing. Um, And I know healing is of the mind, but sometimes it's also, I've certainly experienced, and so so have other people on the call, um, unexpected healings, as as Lana was just describing one. Um, So it's just, I wanted to share those two things because they've been really, really beautiful in my life. Thanks for listening. I'm complete. Oh, oh thank you, Jessica. Helpful, Jessica. Thank yes, you. Thank you. Thank you, Jessica. This is Ida. Hope you all are doing well. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, your shares have given me some courage um, because for me, with my body, I'll make it short and <laughs> sweet that's not intended to be a pun, a pun because 10 years ago I was diagnosed with having diabetes and I think I had it before then but I was afraid to go to the doctor and get that diagnosis before then and uh, of course it's been in my life for over 30 years but sugar came into my life before the course And now I feel like I'm addicted to sugar. Like physically, I feel this thing in my belly and only sugar like seems to satisfy it or something with sugar in it, right? Um, And that's not helping my diabetes. My doctor is concerned. And um, no, you can kill yourself with sugar, you know. It will work if you eat enough of it long enough. And I really have to say that I don't want to do that. Um, At least my, consciously, I don't want to do that, you know. And um, it's, you know, being sick with diabetes, having to go on dialysis or being in a wheelchair is just things that I really don't like the idea of, you know, that could could happen to me if I don't cut back. And, of course, since the season right now to have more sugar and, you know, I've been drinking the eggnog and, you know, I checked my weight at the doctor's yesterday and my weight didn't go up. It wasn't a problem with that, even though I'm about 80 pounds overweight, according to the charts and everything. And I have been for a long time now. And uh, it's just, I know that somehow I can just completely depend on God that 
I don't have to depend on sugar. You know what I mean? Because it's a physical thing. And, you know, I always say um, the power of love is greater than the love of power. Well, that's not exactly the same thing, but um, it's the same idea that I've also said that anything we can do physically, we can do spiritually and better and easier and more without any money and all that kind of stuff, you know, in the world. And um, I want to act in my life when nobody's looking even, right, as if I totally believe 100% in the things that the Course says and about healing and everything. So I think that would that would heal me, but it takes courage and courage is from the heart. Core uh, is French for uh, the heart. And uh, so anyway, I'm just sort of uh, sharing all this with you and um, knowing that you're compassionate people. And uh, I uh, want to do this one day at a time. It's the only way I can do it. And uh, thank you. I'm complete. Thanks, Ida. Oh, bless you for, for, your, for your courage, Ida. Yes, bless you, Ida. That was that was really beautiful. Really good self inquiry there. Thanks for your strong heart. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you for your courage, Ida, and sharing that with us. So glad you're awesome. working for God Incorporated. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, thank you, sweetie. <laughs> that was a great rumbery. Thank you. This is Sandra, and I so appreciate um, your inquiry and your transparency, Ida. Um, I've, you know, because uh, I've been with you in person, that I've healed myself of cancer, and um, and sugar is a culprit. It's a culprit in cancer, and it's a culprit in in uh, in diabetes, and I got support for that. I mean, particularly if your doctor is concerned, um, you can do it completely with, uh, you know, mind training, um, and you can also get some 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 live support, which is Overeaters Anonymous, which is a twelve-step program which incorporates God and it incorporates uh, a not a no sugar, no flour diet which there were a lot of people in there who had diabetes and it completely went away. Um, and you have the support of people who are also struggling with it. So, and, the, and, and it's a spiritual program, so I might recommend that. It really helped me to get off of sugar and, um, and learn how to eat in a, in a sane way and gave me complete freedom around food. So it's, it's alternative, but... Um, there's ways that we can can help since we're since I'm having a experience I can choose to do it completely with the mind but as many of you do here many of you take medications <clears throat> you know that's that's uh, you know saying I am a body right now and I need a little extra help and and that's okay <clears throat> God does not put any limits on us as to um, you know, we can we can align with the ego. We can align with the, the divine. We can. It, it, God loves us no matter what. 
and um, and there there's ways to support ourselves, and they're called alternative <laughs> um, <clears throat> that can support the fact that we are having a body experience, and and there's natural remedies that are given to us by God actually um, that you can use to to support, and you do that. Ida, you use Bach flower remedies and stuff like that. So you're on the right track, and you can get that support if you want it. I'm complete. Thanks so much, everybody, and especially Sandra. God bless you, dear. Yeah, that was a sweet offering. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you, Sandra. Uh, this is Glenna. You know, um, Ida, uh, my experience with sugar... Um, was that, and it is addictive, there's no doubt about it, it has an addictive quality to it, but um, once you get it out of your system, the craving goes away, and it only takes a few days to get it out of your system, if you could hold on <laughs> for a few days, that craving for it would dissolve, because there's nothing in you that would feed itself but um i also know what you were sharing jessica about the feeling um when um and also you sandra about medicine and things when uh, just about three or four years ago you know i was diagnosed with that terminal lung disease and and um when the doctors told me and it was three of them you know a couple lung specialists in my primary um, I had a feeling in me, I just had this inner knowing that it wasn't true, it wasn't real. Even though I had all the symptoms and the MRI showed that I had this pulmonary fibrosis, um, I didn't believe it. And the guidance I got from Jesus, and I've shared this before, was let the doctors take care of your body and I will take care of your mind. So my focus was with Jesus on healing my mind, and the doctors did what they thought they would, you know, they could do. But um, my MRIs after that, you know, I had them like every couple months, and and at first they thought it was just a slow acting version of the disease, and then it started reversing itself. You know, the scar tissue was actually less, and uh, they're still scratching their heads over that, but. Um, you know, it's 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 all mind. As long as I'm clear that it's all mind, but um, but Jesus, the the most damaging thing is the fear. You know, so by just abandoning the medical profession would have caused me fear, and that's counterproductive to healing. So it's always you know healing the fear, and um, you know. So he said, you know, go to the doctor, but no that it's the cause. Don't get it confused with the effect. You know, the cause is in your mind, and that's what I worked on. So anyway, thank you for listening. Oh, great chairs. Thank you, Lana. Thank you so much, dear. I love you. Thank you, Lana. Um, All thought produces form at some level is all I wanted to interject, so... That's the beauty of clearing our mind of our thoughts and changing them. Thank you. Oh, yes. very good, Christian. Thank you. Yeah. Um, this is Jessica, and I just want to put in a plug here for the Holy Spirit because when it comes to 
decisions and choices around things like medications or supplements or any other uh, healing remedies, I really feel like it, it, it can become very confusing and overwhelming to listen to advice from different people about what works and what doesn't work. So my go-to is the Holy Spirit. I, when I take the medications that I take, I do it with the Holy Spirit. And the, the pill looks completely different to me when I do it with the Holy Spirit. And if there's a choice about, you know, whether or not to take a supplement or, uh, you know, get a test or something like that, I mean, this, you know, I'm not 100% because I'm uh, working on this every day, but I try to ask the Holy Spirit, you know, is this, or Jesus, you know, I go to a place and I say, hey, Jesus, <laughs> what do you think? Should I do this thing? Should I, you know, I heard about a remedy recently from a core student that said, um, you know, they were guided to tell me about it. And so I had to go at, make my own inquiry about whether this was right for me. So anyway, that, that, that's, otherwise I get pretty, you know, the, the fear gets activated when I'm confused and not sure what, how to proceed, whether to take something, not take something, get something, go somewhere, <laughs> do something, whatever, eat certain things. The fear can definitely take over, and we know that's not helpful. So Holy Spirit is there to help us. I'm complete. Good Thanks, point, Jessica. Oh, that was great, that Jessica. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you, Jessica. Ooh-wee. Ooh-wee. <laughs> oh, I, um, you know, this is this God of Sickness concept that the Course proposes to us, it was a real mind bender, um, upside down and reversal for uh, a, a person who studied and practiced nursing her whole life and was highly invested in the physical experience of being human in every sensorial way. And, um, you know, that to be told that I'm not my body was, was a real poke in the eye, you know, it's like, uh, so this is really a powerful section for me, and I appreciate everyone's personal experiences. Um, but I like I like to to imagine um, no pain, no guilt, the ending of sickness, sorrow, and suffering in its completion. And you know, um, being on the fence about these kinds of things, looking through. Um, the eyes of perception and, and thinking I am I am the body isn't isn't helpful for me. I am um, trying to undo the belief that I am the body in in every way, sense and form. In my experience of myself, looking for a new sense of uh, divine experience of being awake and aware in the world, and forgetting my body, because I I have had. Absolutely, throughout my life, before I even studied any of this, had experiences of becoming one 
with everything and forgetting my sense of personal self, forgetting, completely forgetting my body and just becoming one with everything that was around me. <coughs> and, you know, that's what, what the Course is, is driving me to. This is what I'm earnest in my search for, the truth of who I am. And, um, you know, the story of, of Jesus is his unfolding of his spiritual awakening and the uh, uh, example that he uses of being crucified, the complete abandonment of his, his sense of importance of his body, you know, but that it's not about that. We, we can't, the lesson speaks of this, that, um, you know, there's no loss in that. The absolute insignificance of the body, the end of the suffering and the pain and the misery in the body cannot be lost. And this is the root of this lesson today. The gift of everything, everything that I am, as God created me, having everything is what I am, and being everything is what I am. I am the totality of God's creation. And to share that, now, the word salvation has no cost. It's a gift that must be freely given and received. I can't give a gift unless I know I have it. Salvation, I can't give miracles. I can't give forgiveness. I can't give it unless I know it and I have it. Having and being and sharing are all the same. So, ergo, here I go. It's a gift that must be freely given and, and freely received. If, if I'm um, going to put a God of sickness before the truth of who and what I am, then I'm misplacing my faith in disaster, my faith in illusion, and I don't want to do that today. So I'm speaking um, from, the, from the story of Jesus that he, through his life, practiced, you know, in the, in, in the temptations of, in the garden, you know, being weak and hungry after fasting, and then, you know, the temptations of looking for power, and glory and, you know, in and through the body, the body and the personal sense of self, letting go of all those temptations and dismissing them, not, not trying to get rid of them, not trying to um, do anything, because I'm not the doer of the undoing of that. And, and Jessica, thank you for saying that, that Holy Spirit and in my consciousness, awareness of being one-minded with Christ is what is the power within me to undo it when I'm facing it. Every moment that I want a cookie, every moment that I want to be angry, every moment that I want to be judgmental, the immediacy of the salvation is recognizing my happiness and peace are contingent on anything not being in a body, not being in the world, not anything of any of that stuff has dominion over me as the Son of God, as the Christ within me. That has all the power. And there is no power in anything else unless I say so. I am giving that stuff power over me. And that's what's called temptation. I'm going to make an idol out of something 
and give it more power than the power of who and what I am in God. So the mercy and peace of God are free, free, and only I can imprison myself. I'm constantly, mercy is reigning, the power of his perfect love is within me, and this is a function of God's teachers to see no will as separate from my own. That your will isn't to be sick and sad and suffering and pain. Your will is God's will to be happy, joyous, and free and know your purely mind and spirit. I don't know what else to say or do. Um, just to accept the truth that's true and nothing else is true. So I got my more than three minutes, almost five. I'll stop there. I love you all, and I am complete. Oh, thank you so much, so much. I really appreciate it. Thank You're you. here. Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Judy. Thank you, Judy. What is the illusion of sickness for? What is the illusion of sickness for? To tempt us to believe that we're in a body and that we can be hurt and that we can make ourselves into something that we're not. It's an illusion of making ourselves into something that's capable of suffering and that would deny the God that God is within us. There is no suffering, no cruelty, no pain in God and in the kingdom of heaven. Identify with truth or take the rest. Amen. This I had a spiritual healing. I've, I've shared this before, but I guess it's okay if I share it again. You think that's okay, everybody? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yes? Okay. There's I was... Testimony. I'm sorry. Okay. I was a young mom, and I was sick. I had some kind of weird virus that the doctors couldn't cure. They couldn't fix me. And I was sick for about nine months, and I went to my doctor, and he said, we don't know what's wrong with you, and we can't fix you. And I was not studying spirituality or anything, but my best friend was a Christian scientist. So I was staying at my mom's house, so she was helping me with my son. And I went to my friend's house and said, give me the book. I am sick. Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures. I took the book, went back to my mom's house, sat on the porch, and I read this. The prayer that heals the sinner and saves the sick is the prayer that all things are possible to God. A spiritual understanding and unselfed love. And I swear I heard in my right ear, you are okay, Fran. You are fine. And my mind totally changed. My fear totally left. My thoughts that I was sick totally left. My body was still sick, but I had no fear, and I did not believe it. And within a couple of days, my body was totally well. I went back to my doctor, and he said to me, I don't know what you're doing, but you're getting better. Keep doing it. And I began my practice of Christian science then, which I studied for about 20 years, I guess. 
But it was amazing. It changed my life. I will never, ever forget a day sitting on my mom's porch with that in my ear. You're okay. I had another major healing a couple, about two years later. And um, it, I studied Christian science, and I just loved it. It directed me to the course, basically. All right, I'm complete. Oh, I'm glad to hear that, Fran. Fran, that's oh, wonderful. So Fran, thank you, Fran. I thought Fran. you were going to tell us, tell us more about the other healing. Okay. <laughs> I had asthma as a kid, and as I got older, a young adult, I would have asthma attacks. And I would be sick for a couple of months, and I just was so used to it. It didn't bother me too much, but I didn't like it. So I contacted a Christian science practitioner, and she gave me a section to read in the book. I don't remember the exact words, but it was about the healing of the mind. And um, my brother called me that day, and he asked me, he was going to come over, and it was raining, and he asked me to go out and get him a pack of cigarettes. And I thought, oh, that's when everybody was smoking. I thought, oh, my God, I can't do that. I have, I'm having asthma attacks. I can't go out in the rain. And my brother was on crutches. He had a, a broken foot. And I heard, again, you are fine. You are okay. You can do this for your brother. So I thought, okay, I'm fine. The body will pay attention to the mind. The mind is controlling the body. So I went out. We didn't have a car. I walked to the store in the rain with my asthma and got my brother's cigarettes and came back and was totally well and never had another asthma attack in my life. I tell you, I just love remembering these things. It's just so great. So great to hear. Thank you for telling that. I love it. Really, me too. Thank you. Thank you, Fran, so much. Thank you, Fran. You know, over the years, you know, when I read A Course in Miracles and I apply its principles um, and its practices, you know, everything that Jesus says I've come to know is absolutely true. And it really stabilizes my trust. So I can continue to trust it. And um, it's just, you know, best things in sliced bread. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just a wonderful thing. I'm complete. Oh, I agree with <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Lana. Everything's true. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Lana. Wow. Stabilize my trust. Well, I like that, Lana. Oh, taking it back to um, all things are lessons God would have me learn. I sometimes, you know, forget and think that uh, if I'm not experiencing an absolute utopian life, uh, I'm somewhere failing myself or God or truth but that lesson all things are lessons God would have me learn 
uh, straightens out my mind pretty quick because um, this body has not been having a utopian experience lately <laughs> had another surgery this week and it uh, doesn't seem to have done the trick but um, I fall back to all things are lessons God would have me learn and, and today you know and as I have been for a while now asking myself asking Holy Spirit show me show me how forgiveness will heal my mind of this illusion of bodily suffering and show me what that means because I don't know I, I, I don't know um, when I misinterpret the Course in Miracles uh, looking for it um, to solve my ego dilemmas or my body dilemmas um, I can misread it and use it to accuse myself of failing and that certainly is not what Holy Spirit intends for me that that must be an error and so I have to stop and wait and listen and Jessica thank you for saying I don't want to cut the Holy Spirit out of this <laughs> um, because uh, I don't know I don't know but all things all things are lessons God would have me learn and when I learn them I'm happy um, and how does he say he he would like us to be happy learners if I'm using the Course in Miracles to condemn myself or any teaching in it to say that I'm failing um, I'm I'm not being a happy learner that's for sure forgiveness helps me there too forgiveness is uh, nothing more than um, to me saying I don't know because in the place of truth I've put something that's a mistake some mistaken idea some conscious or unconscious belief something I taught myself that was an error uh, some idea that uh, doesn't align with truth um, and and that causes the loss of peace so to forgive is to inquire of my mind what am I believing that my father would not have me believe I don't know I don't know I have to be taught that's why all things are lessons God would have me learn uh, today I'm looking at um, because of my experience this week I'm looking at um, at a quote that's helping me with this forgiveness um, let me see if I can find it it's in the in the lingering illusion in chapter 29 awakening it says here we go whenever you attempt to reach a goal in which the body's betterment is cast as major beneficiary you try to bring about your own death and that's kind of what he's saying in these in these uh, in the first section of what we read today I've got a misunderstanding when I think the body should be the beneficiary of healing 
healing like life is in the mind and of the mind and another lesson that helps me is lesson 140 only salvation can be said to cure because the cure for salvation is the healing of the mind and life is in the mind and of the mind and life is eternal um, when I cast the body as the major beneficiary uh, of my prayer I'm asking God to recognize um, an unreality that is not to say that the body is is uh, an illusion but what I um, what I use it for is what it becomes for me if I use it uh, what was that to catch another fish um, <laughs> uh, all the various things that ego would have us use the body for um, that will keep me uh, keep my mind outside of truth but salvation the atonement is the cure because it says I am as God created me simply that I am as God created me spirit of my the Holy Son of God safe and healed and whole free to forgive free to save the world that puts my mind in its correct position he's talking about that when he says cause and effect in that sixth seventh paragraph place cause and effect in their true sequence in one respect and learning will generalize and transform the world and in that regard healing can be said to cure the atonement is the cure now he says you who belong to first cause I'm going to give you that quote exactly because it's um it's just about everything it's in chapter 13 you who belong to first cause created by him like unto himself and part of him that's the atonement right there in a nutshell you who belong to first cause created by him like unto himself and part of him are more than merely guiltless more than merely guiltless the state of guiltness guiltlessness is only the condition in which what is not there has been removed from the disordered mind that thought it was this state and only this must you attain with God beside you after that after I've accepted atonement for myself I'm, I'll never ever ever be asked to solve another problem on my own because there is no such thing as alone you who belong to first cause um, beyond which there is no other cause cause and effect are one I'll forever be an effective father exactly like himself and that's what today's lesson says I'm not asked to make a sacrifice I'm not asked to give up my body <laughs> I'm not asked to give up anything to find the mercy and peace of God because that's what's given in creation I am as God created me I am as God created me I am as God created me and so is every living thing does that mean that I'm supposed to have a utopian existence in this world no but it does mean 
that I will always take my misunderstandings to truth and ask for correction. The body is not the major beneficiary of this life. My mind is, and life is in the mind and of the mind, and life is eternal, pure and free and holy as its creator. And that will always be the truth. The body is not the major beneficiary of anything. And so, how, how do I deal with this? Well, I'm telling you how I deal with it. I need a correction. I'll need a correction in the next minute, and I'll need a correction in the next minute. But ego would say, the experience you're having right now is um, how is as good as, gonna, as it's going to get, and it's going to get worse from here. <laughs> I don't have to believe that. I don't have to believe that at all. I can choose to believe that I always choose between my weakness and the strength of Christ in me. I always choose between my weakness and the strength of Christ in me. And how that translates to my next experience, I don't know, but I'm willing to be shown. Um, I'm willing to be shown. That's why I so love the opening this morning. Stand with open hands and wait for what your life will be to, to land. And isn't that just the definition of forgiveness? To look, wait, and judge not. How does the Son of God awake from this dream, he says. How does the Son of God awaken from this dream? It is a dream of judgment so he judges not. That frees my mind right here, right now. I don't know what this means. I don't know. It was a dream of judgment. Ego would say it's a dream of suffering and I'll continue to suffer because this is how it is. But that's not what my father intends for me. And it turns out, um, here's the last thing I want to say and why it's important to me in this lesson. I'm not asked to make a sacrifice to find the mercy and the peace of God. It goes on to say, you can only give, so sacrifice is impossible. Remember, giving and receiving are one in truth, and that's the nature of the teaching-learning relationship. We're here to learn that giving and receiving are one in truth, that my, that my treasure house is full. And the more I give, the more I receive. In that light, um, here's my salvation today. Um, I can only give, and everything I give returns to me pressed down and flowing over. And I add to that, what you use the body for, it will become for you. If I use it to bring the word of God, um, it will become holy. That's its purpose, you know, to be a communication device while we're among each other with communication devices to bring and share the love of God, to be a blessing to each other and to let ourselves be blessed. And it turns out that the opposite of sacrifice is blessing. So if I want to um, give up the idea of pain and suffering 
where better can I look than to be a blessing or to receive a blessing? Because it turns out um, creation wants to bless me as much as I want to bless creation. And thank you, Kristen, for talking about being a receiver. Um, that was so helpful. You know, um, our minds are touchstones for the thoughts of God. And every time I give up an idea of suffering or condemnation or judgment, uh, truth comes to fill that space. And all things then become lessons. Everything. Everything's a lesson that God would have me learn. And it turns out in my truest heart of hearts, in my in, in my deepest, deepest desire, I want to know the truth. That's all I want to know. I only want the truth in all its glory and splendor and grandeur uh, to be in my awareness. And because that's my truest, truest desire, uh, sometimes I'll invite things that I hadn't intended to look like this, but in my heart of hearts, I want this lesson or it wouldn't be here. Um, and there is no sacrifice. So um, what can I say except I'm grateful for whatever comes because it's all teaching me uh, to be closer aligned with truth while I dream of body identity. And finally, here's the last thing I want to say. What is the body? In that section, what is the body? He says a lot of things that we misunderstand about the body. But he said, if you want relief, think of it like this way. Identify with love and you are safe. Identify with love and you are home. Identify with love and find yourself. And the more I let love lighten my awareness, the less concerned I am about temporary discomfort I won't be listening to those ego thoughts that tell me this is how it will be so for that I'm very grateful today and I thank you all I'm complete thank you Lori that was awesome thank you Lori so much you're so yeah, much thank you Always wonderful to hear you share. Thank you. Is there Thank time you, for share? Lori, is there time for last year? Oh yeah. Where are we at? Um, this Go for it. Thank you. Thank you. I've had a lot of experience with the body and with sickness, and um, and I've had a lot of uh, uh, victory. <laughs> Um, for me, the body is a communication device. I really love that you brought that up again, Lori. And the Spirit of God or the Word of God can heal, can actually heal the body. <clears throat> and, it's, and it's free and it's God-given and there's no agenda there except, for, except that it's God extending love to all aspects and all parts of creation. Uh, the herbs and plants can heal the body. Again, no agenda. They're freely given. Uh, the pharmaceuticals can help take away pain and hide symptoms. 
and they can make us more comfortable, and that's definitely a value, but they can also do harm, and they have an agenda, and that is profit. Spirit is, is in charge of the body. Spirit asks me to be open-minded, be patient, to trust. I am spirit. So if one modality doesn't work, I need to be open-minded and go to Holy Spirit and ask for guidance. It's my responsibility to take care of this body so it can continue to be a communication device for God. I'm complete. Oh, thank you, Sandra. Thank you, Sandra. Hmm. Well, you know what? I had lots of different places to to close this call this morning, but I I think uh, you just pointed me to this one, Sandra. This is in, we're going to come up on this here in a couple of weeks, but the question is, are healing and atonement related? So let's think about this. Healing and atonement are not related. They are identical. There's no order of difficulty in miracles because there are no degrees of atonement. It is the one complete concept possible in this world because it is the source of wholly unified perception. Partial atonement is a meaningless idea, just as special areas of hell and heaven is inconceivable. Accept atonement and you are healed. Atonement is the word of God. Accept his word and what remains to make sickness possible. Accept his word and every miracle has been accomplished. To forgive is to heal. The teacher of God has taken accepting the atonement for himself as his only function. The progress of the teacher might be slow or rapid, depending on whether or not he recognizes the atonement's inclusiveness. We talked about that in this reading today. Learning will generalize. Some, for a time, he might exclude some problem areas from it. <laughs> but the perfect applicability of the lesson of the atonement applies to all situations. That forgiveness is healing needs to be understood if the teacher of God is to make progress. So that's where I'm going to end it today. And uh, it's my prayer that all that Father has offered be accepted. And that's the one true prayer. Amen. Beautiful. Amen. Yes. Thank you, Laurie. Thank you, Laurie. Thank you, everybody. What a great call. Yeah, it was. (laughs) It's a really great call. Thank you, everyone.